Amen. I forget how good it is sometimes to sit out there. It's like I just wanted to stay out there this morning, you know? Not that I didn't want to come up here and preach, but I could just sit out here all morning, right? You guys are so lucky. Do you know how lucky you are? Yes, yes, that's the right answer. So much joy today, right? So much joy today. New people coming into the church. Little baby, your candle lighter. I'm sorry I don't know your name, but you've got a little baby. Oh, it's so precious, so much joy. Today is often called Joy Sunday. Um, It's a prophecy Sunday, though, too. And I'm going to share with you a prophecy. And this is from Isaiah. And I'll share with you the verses from Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The return of the redeemed to Zion. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. That's us. And the redeemed, the ransomed of the Lord, shall return and come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. The sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen is right. You know, despite all the joy that we feel in this room today, I think by and large, you know, as we live our lives, go about our business, the other six days of the week, we're people in need of joy, aren't we? Not just happiness, but real, real joy. And there's a difference. Uh, take your pick, Psychology Today, whatever website you want to go to, Google, whatever. You'll find countless psychological studies that talk about joy, deconstructing joy. And if I had to sum up the little bits and pieces that I have gleaned from these sites and reading, it seems like happiness. Happiness is more dependent or tied to an event. Uh, say you're, you know, you've gone to lunch with your friends or something, you know, you've had a really good time, that's happiness. Uh, you know, you, you got that steak, you really, whatever, you know, insert the food of your choice. <laughs> that's happiness. That's happiness. Your favorite people, a good time. Joy is more complex. 
joy is more complex. I want to say joy is maybe deeper, deeper. I've heard joy described as a virtue even, a virtue. Think of that. It's an enduring, deep delight in what holds the most significance. So think about that. What is most significant to you? That's likely something to bring you joy. Now, we're also people who are in need of promise, right? Don't you like a promise, and don't you like it when people keep their promises? You know, that's the, there's two parts to this promise thing, you know, when somebody gives you a promise, but you, you, you want to joyfully hope that they are going to uh, keep that promise. But, you know, out here in the world, out here in the world, we want that promise, right, where uh, grocery prices are going to come down. Inflation's not going to be a thing. COVID is going to go away. We want that promise, right? We want to be sure at the end of the day that no matter how rough a day we've had it, no matter how hard the road, we're going to make it home. We're going to be okay. We're going to make it home. That's promise. And we want hope. We are people who thrive on hope. If we don't have hope, we cannot expect to cultivate joy or even consider promises in our lives. And so that's why, that's why the scriptures never fail us. And, you know, hey, I don't mean to sound like a platitude. I don't mean this to sound like a platitude, but the scriptures really do not ever fail us. Amen? If it's true that we derive our joy from what holds the most significance, we will find it when we encounter God in the scriptures because God is the most significant part of our lives, or else he should be, else he should be. On this side of heaven, all said, we may never really figure out, you know, the true meaning, a psychological meaning of joy and hope and promise, but the Bible reminds us that that's, that's not unique. You know, that's not a, a new thing. We're, we're not unique if we can't figure it out because the people in the Bible, that's like us. Those people are just like us. People in Scripture, they long for joy and hope and promise. All those same things that we ache for, they ached for them too, and they looked for them. Isaiah 35 that I just read, it was written for people like us. It was written for people in need of joy. Actually, Isaiah 35, I told you it was a prophecy. Well, it is. Uh, it was written to the Jews who had been held in captivity by the Babylonians. And it's a picture of what God has in store for them, what God promises them as they return from captivity. So you remember, though, this hasn't happened yet. Uh, the actual captivity would take place, Babylonian exile wouldn't take place for another 200 or so years. Um, but Isaiah is prophesying what that's going to look like when God leads those exiles home. Now Isaiah, Isaiah 35 is also, it's, it's really a second exodus. Uh, don't forget that God led his people out of Egypt. Remember that? When they were slaves there. And God's going to do it again. God is going to do it again. Now, when you say wilderness, what comes to your mind? I mean, does it sound like a happy place? Uh, does it sound like a pretty place? Not really, right? Not really. It doesn't have that great uh, connotation, does it? Wilderness sounds kind of lonely, sounds kind of desolate, 
um, place where you might get lost, lost in the wilderness. Wilderness to me, it sounds like a place that is far from home. But in Isaiah 35, did you hear those words? The wilderness and the desert, they're not these scary places. They're not these places where you feel so isolated and you're afraid to take your next step. The wilderness in Isaiah 35 is lush and it's beautiful and there's, there's flowers there, there's green plants growing. It's amazing, right? So Isaiah is telling us that the wilderness is not always a bad thing. And here's the best part and here's the reason why it's not a bad thing. God is always in the wilderness, right? It is biblical. It is biblical. Think about this. Think about in Deuteronomy. We're going back to um, the Exodus times. Moses spoke to the people of Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. He told them, the Lord your God will fight for you, just as he did in Egypt and in the wilderness. The Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son until you reach this place. And then he also says um, further on, he says, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked for anything. You hear that promise. That is promise. And of course, we know that years and years later, John the Baptist, well, he conducted his own ministry in the wilderness, right? Pointing people to Jesus. And Jesus himself spent time in the wilderness praying. And he was tempted in the wilderness too. Jesus knew the wilderness. We all know the wilderness. We all know the wilderness to some degree. Wilderness might be a hard place, desolate place, but God does good work in the wilderness. That's the part that we can't forget. And God never leaves anybody behind. That is good news. Even in the wilderness, here is our God. Wilderness too. Think about it like this. Wilderness doesn't have to be this material place that we go to or that we come from. Wilderness can be a mental place. And it can be a spiritual place, too. You think about the exiles. You could say that their emotional wilderness, their spiritual wilderness, it was the loss of their temple. It was the loss of their land. It was the loss of their identity, too, their nation status. They had lost all these things, not to mention their actual material things. They had lost all these things in their hearts, their identity. And so losing everything like this, you know, they had to figure out who they were. They sort of had to reinvent themselves. They had to figure out who are we as we go home. And all that time in the wilderness, you know, that's going to take a toll on your body too. The scripture tells us their hands were weak and their knees were feeble and their hearts were fearful all that time in the wilderness. It's going to get to you. These people were blind and deaf and lame, and they had just about had it. But the good news is, God does not abandon us to our problems. When we feel like we've just about had it, God is still there. When we have so much sorrow we cannot pick ourselves up, God is there. And God promises us further as we leave this planet 
but there's going to be no more hurting one day. There's going to be no more sorrow one day. The bodies really will be knit back together. Eyes will be opened, and the lame will walk one day. Here is our healing God, our transforming God. And I am so glad for God's transformation. I'm so glad that God is a transforming God. Because you know what? When we really allow God to enter our lives and our hearts, when we allow God to work on us and in us, what happens? We change. We can't help it. It's like turning a light on in a dark room. Now, I'll stop myself a little bit there before I get too carried away because what happens sometimes when you turn on a light in a dark room? You're going to see the dust bunnies. You know, you forgot your Swiffer sweeper that day. You're going to see a lot of things about yourself and about that room maybe too that you don't like. You're going to see things that you're not comfortable with. But God gives us the opportunity not to shine the overhead light, but to shine his light on all these things, right all these things, too, that we're not so proud of that might be in that room. Well, you know what? God gives us the opportunity to shine his light on those things so that we can give them up. We have to do the work of letting go of our sin, knowing that God doesn't let go of us. If we stay stuck in our old lives, it's because we choose to. It's not because God didn't want to res rescue us. God won't let us remain slaves to the things that we shouldn't serve as long as we have the desire to stop. Now, I love how in John's gospel, Jesus is preaching in the temple court at the Mount of Olives, and he says to some of the Jews there, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, they answered him, we are descendants of Abraham's. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying we will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Answered them very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin, that's all of us, is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son, S-O-N, has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And that is good news. Then the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, he had so many good words to say about being slaves to sin. Paul says, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Here's the good news. You have been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to what? Righteousness. That's amazing. God rescued the exiles. God set them free from their captors, and God saved them and us from their slavery to sin. This is what God does. Here is our God. He's ready to save us. He's ready to free us. God don't, not only shows us this better way, but it gives us a better way to get there. Now, you have to use your imagination for this. You have to use your imagination. In uh, the latter part of what I read you today in Isaiah's prophecy, we see a holy highway, holy highway reserved for the redeemed. I can't help but think about North Carolina's um, state uh, uh, symbol being the orange barrel, you know, or the pylon. You know, when I, <laughs> when, I, when I ask people to imagine a holy highway, it's like, wow, yeah, when they finish the loop or the bypass, boy, that'll be great. But no, this is, this is a true, true 
highway that is beyond our comprehension. This is the way. This is the way God wants us to go. This highway, oh, imagine it with me. It is so wide. It is so unobstructed. It is so unique, too. It is a road filled with hope and promise. I don't know about you. In my life, I have traveled some roads that weren't that hopeful, and sometimes I even chose them. And that's the bad part. But the only possible way that I made it over those roads and through uh, that journey is because God showed me the way. God showed me a better way and a better road, too. Even when I didn't see it or didn't know it, God was there. God was walking on that road before me. I think that sometimes when um, things go wrong in our lives, you know, when we fall off that holy highway. It's kind of a knee-jerk. It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to think, oh, I'm just going to shut down. You know, I'm going to shut everything out. And you do that, you take a chance on shutting out God, right? But this doesn't stop God from trying to get us back. Doesn't stop God at all. Doesn't phase God. You know, God knows and we know we are always going to have hard times, We're always going to have rough roads. We just need God to keep us on track, and we cannot forget that. We can't let those blinders come on when when we're faced with opposition or faced with fear or hard times. We can't suffer that knee-jerk reaction of, gosh, I just want to get out of here and just withdraw. Can't do it. Can't do it, especially this time of year especially this time of year when, when, when our joy is tinged with sadness sometimes. Holidays make us vulnerable, even though we're happy and even though we enjoy the holidays and each other and God. You know, there's always a tinge of depression. There's always a tinge of depression or sadness. It may have been something that happened. Maybe we lost someone. Especially this time of year, you know, when depression and loneliness creep in, we can't forget, here is our God. Here is our God to carry us through this. When our relationships feel threatened or beyond repair, just so broken, here is our God. Our God is here still. When we lose a friend or a family member, here is our God right here, right here with us in the doctor's office, in the hospital. Here is our God, I promise you. When we get the diagnosis that we didn't expect, here is our God. He's on that road with us. God has shown us time and again throughout history. He never leaves us. He never leaves us. We might have that knee jerk. We might swear that we're going it alone, but it's our own pain that makes us isolated. That fear can kick up and make us feel alone, but we have a God friend, friends, who loves us and who is invested in us, and he wants to bring us back just like those exiles. We might have to travel through a dry land or get lost a few times or, you know, get tangled in the underbrush. But you know what? We are never left to perish, and we can expect to see abundance in our lives once we return. When I was a kid, I loved to go down in the woods and play. 
love to go out down in the woods and we had a lot of woods we had 120 acres and around our house of course you know there wasn't wooded there it was cleared there uh, we had a number of nature trails that my father had created so that we could go down and just so far into the woods you know without getting lost or anything um, play and and that can look at nature and you know different things and it was great. We loved it. We loved it. But once you got off those nature trails, buddy, you were on your own. I mean, <laughs> it got kind of hairy down there because a lot of that woods, well, it was for hunting and things like that. You know, we, it wasn't cleared. Um, um, all that to say, all that to say, I remember when I was about nine or ten, and my father said, I have got something that you're going to love, and it's down in the woods. You've got to come with me. You've got to see this. And it was in late spring. It was probably May or June. And I was a daddy's girl, I was a tomboy, and I knew it was going to be a good day. I knew it was going to be a great day because we were going down in the woods. We went way down in the woods. We went over logs and through the vines and stickers and, and all that mess, hiking, hiking, hiking. It was great. And then we got down to the stream that ran through our property, and it was a, it was a pretty decent stream. It wasn't that deep, but it was pretty swift especially in the late spring. So, you know, my dad got me through that because I was kind of little. He got me through that, and we got up the bank. We got into a clearing, and there it was. There was what my dad had brought me to see. 10, 15 feet away, there was the most unusual pink flower that I have ever seen in my life. It looked so delicate, and it was so unusual and so out of place in these woods. I mean, it, it was so strange because we'd been in, been in the woods, we'd been in the stream, we climbed up on the bank, got into the clearing, and there it was. And Daddy said, this is a wild orchid. It's a lady's slipper, a lady's slipper. Go home and look it up if you don't know a lady's slipper. It is the most beautiful, precious flower. And there were a few more, so about three or four more off to the other part of the clearing there. I was so surprised by this pop of color, this sudden appearance, delicate leaves, and, and the greenery just in that stark, stark place that something so fragile could thrive out here, literally in the middle of nowhere, something so precious and vibrant and healthy. And I would never have seen it if I hadn't traveled through all those woods, all that wilderness with my dad that day, I never would have seen it. And those, that was the only place on our land that these things grew. He had found them one day when he was down by the stream. He had planned this surprise for me, knowing that, knowing that I would love it. Uh, we were both oh, great nature lovers, art lovers too, and we both loved to find God things out in nature. That's what we called it. We would love to find God's creation, God's artwork out in nature. When I saw that lady slipper, it was like my father said, Lisa, here is God's work in creation. Here is our artist. God. And that's how I think it was for the exiles when they were freed. You know, coming out of a wilderness journey, they saw the beauty and they saw the promise of God. And even more importantly, they were able to tell the story. They became messengers in their own right. They said, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. Here is our promise. 
here is our redemption and here is our joy. The beloved priest Henry Nowen said once, joy does not come from positive predictions about the state of the world. It does not depend on the ups and downs of the circumstances of our lives. Joy is based on the spiritual knowledge that while the world in which we live is shrouded in darkness, God has overcome the world. Jesus says it loudly and clearly. In the world you will have troubles, but rejoice, I have overcome the world. And friends, here in this world, a world in need of deep, deep joy, a world that feels a lot like the wilderness sometimes, here is our God ready to deliver us, ready to transform us, and ready to bring his light into the world for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.